Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you once again uh, for this time. I thank you for your word and uh, how it teaches us about you. And I pray today, uh, Lord, that your spirit would guide and lead us to see uh, the beauty of, of the kingdom that you are bringing, that you have brought and are continuing to bring into this world. So may your spirit lead us to see that more fully here today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ is risen. So there's this director in uh, Hollywood. His name is Michael Bay. Has anybody ever seen a Michael Bay film by chance? Uh, he, you probably have, and you just didn't know it. Uh, he's known for, yeah, somebody already gave me this sign. He's known for uh, lots of drama. He's uh, known for all kinds of action and tons of explosions. Uh, he has directed all of the Transformer movies, if you've seen those before. Uh, Bad Boys was another one of his movies. Or um, for some of the more older people in the room, does anybody remember the movie The Rock with Sean Connery and Nick Cage? Lots of explosions, lots of drama. And, and people have kind of picked up on this with Michael Bay through the years. And there's one kind of funny YouTube channel that that does this thing that's known as, what if Michael Bay directed this movie? How would it look? And so you can go on YouTube and you can watch this video of, what if Michael Bay directed the movie Up? (laughs) Anybody ever seen the movie Up before? It's this really cute, heartwarming story of this old guy who's kind of grumpy, holding onto the house, but he's dealing with his wife who has just passed. You cannot cry in this movie, right? I mean, it is just like, it is so beautiful, you are going to cry. There you go, said it right, okay? You get what I'm saying. But if Michael Bay directed this movie, uh, you can watch this on YouTube, it's like a two-minute preview, it would be filled with all kinds of action and tons of explosions. Let's see here, my iPad is not working, if you can kind of just walk with me here. And uh, it would kind of have this feel here. What turns into this cute old man now turns into all kinds of explosion, fast action, drama, and lots and lots of activity. And and the reason I'm bringing this up today is that as we are uh, in this series known as The Four Witnesses, we are talking about um, these four different writers that write what are known as the Gospels. They give us this perspective on who Jesus is. And each of these Gospel writers are trying for, for you and I to more clearly see who Jesus is. And today we're going to be talking about this guy, Mark, and Mark is filled with all kinds of drama, fast action, moving stories, lots of explosions, not really on the explosions part, all right? But, but he is filled with all kinds of action, and he is what we'll call the rebel who wants to change the way that you typically think. 
His big claim is this, that that in a world of bad kings and failed kingdoms, Jesus is the true king that we have been looking for. What he's saying is that there are kings and kingdoms that have existed for a long time, but Jesus is the true king, the best king, the one that you and I have been looking for. And like I said, he is filled with all kinds of action. It's fast moving. Notice these words in just Mark 1.15. He says this, that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What Mark is trying to help us understand is that we need to repent. We need to turn back. We need to go in and understand God's kingdom and believe in this kingdom that he is bringing into this world. And in just 15 verses, I don't know if you were paying attention to the scripture reading, we've already covered a lot of ground. I mean, apparently Jesus has already been born John the Baptist is already on the scene. We got the baptism of Jesus in just 14 verses. We also got that Jesus was tempted in the desert and that John the Baptist was already arrested. And now in verse 15, just in 15 verses, he says, repent and believe that the gospel is at hand. He's moving at a fast pace. In fact, one of Mark's favorite words in his writing is this word immediately. It happens 41 times. Mark is not talking about that things are moving at this fast pace, but instead there's a sense of urgency and speed. That these events that are happening, he's like, I want to get through them quickly here because this is filled with action. Mark only has 16 chapters in his gospel. He has 18 miracles that he records. This is filled with all kinds of action. Now, it's interesting to note that Mark uh, is not a disciple of Jesus in the sense that he was not one of the 12 that's named as disciples or apostles. But what we believe traditionally, and we actually read in Scripture in 1 Peter 5, 13, that Mark was like a son to Peter. And so many people attribute uh, Mark's writing as the words of Peter, that he was the one who was giving him all of this information. And the audience that that Mark is writing to during this time is uh, a group of Christians who are under Roman rule. And to be under Roman rule during this time, Nero was the king. And and to be a Christian during this time wasn't like the worst thing that you would experience is that you'd be made fun of for like coming to church on Sunday. It was much more deep and horrific. To be a Christian during this time meant that you would be killed. Because of your faith. And so in this sense of urgency and action, Mark is telling us, Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. I want you to repent, turn around to a different kingdom and believe in the gospel. Believe in a different kingdom. And what's so fascinating about Mark's writing is that in this writing, he gives us this perspective that uh, the disciples are kind of confused by what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. And I would argue that when we look deeply at, at this understanding that seems confusing about God's kingdom, we can sympathize with the disciples because God's kingdom is different 
than any other kingdom that has ever existed. Uh, See, when we think about kingdoms, um, what are some of the images that come to mind? I bet you would probably start to think of like castles, right? These beautiful buildings that when we think about a kingdom, we think about a fortress or something that cannot uh, uh, be overtaken. Or, or we think of like elaborate meals with all kinds of silverware and we don't even know how to use half of the silverware. And, and am I supposed to eat that or is that just garnish for the table? I'm not sure, right? When you think of kingdoms, you think of this kind of power and, and safety and comfort. You think of uh, the one who is in the kingdom as in charge and has a position of power. And when we read of Jesus, we read that he is a king who is come into this world, who is kingdoming this place and showing power. I mean, he has power to heal the sick. He feeds 5,000 people plus. In fact, Mark records that not only does he feed 5,000, but 4,000 as well. We also read that he's able to calm the winds and the waves, and then he walks on water. He is a king that has all kinds of power, but here comes the confusing part about his kingdom. Notice there's a couple of places of where this comes forward. Uh, In Mark chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, it says this, And he, being Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, but Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You hear this? Peter, remember this relationship with Mark, Peter pulls him aside and he says, wait, you're the king. You're not going to suffer. That's not what kings all of a sudden experience. And in fact, if you know this story, this is right at this moment afterwards, Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, which is another sermon for another time, all right? But, but Peter is not aware of that inside of this kingdom there's going to be struggle. It's not just in this place here. Look at just moving forward here in Mark chapter 9. The next chapter we read, verses 9 and 10. And as they were coming down the mountain, this is where Jesus had transfigured. Do you know this story? Where Jesus shows his great glory to Peter, James, and John. They go up to a mountain. They see him in this beautiful way. And then as they came down from the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. You just saw Jesus in all of his glory, and you're wondering, what is this rising from the dead supposed to mean? See, they can't understand this idea that God's kingdom would have to bring suffering, death. One more here. Mark 9, 31 through 32, the next verses. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. The context here is that James and John, these two brothers, are having an argument on the way of who's going to sit at the right and who's going to sit at the left. Who's going to get the best seat at the table And Jesus instead deflects the conversation to say that the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. 
See, Jesus is saying that for his kingdom to come, there's going to be suffering. There will be sacrifice. And what becomes so challenging for us, but also what was challenging for them, is that kingdoms have power. And, and, and we don't mind suffering as long as it's towards our enemy, but not suffering for us. And this is really interesting because I just see this playing out all the time inside of our world right now. That we just have this desire for power. We want the power. We want to be in control. I mean, you think about how much inside of our world right now we are arguing about power. This is happening all the time all around us. I mean, some easy things to pick on are just politics, right? I mean, who's in control? Who has the power? I mean, that's some of the language that we use. Well, who's in control of the Senate? Or who's in control of the Supreme Court? Or who's in control of the White House? And what this is showing to us is that we want control. When we have power, we feel as if we have control. But also, what comes with power is is simply that we also see this idea of control as a struggle for us in just restrictions that are given to us in COVID-19, right? In the middle of a pandemic. I mean, the fact that we don't want somebody to tell me that I got to wear a mask or keep six feet apart or now I got to get a vaccination, this is just a struggle for us as human beings because we want control, because we want power, This is happening all around us all the time. But I would also argue that this gets brought to light or exposed in our idolatry of power in the thought that we have an illusion of that we don't have limit. This illusion of not having any limits. In fact, this is not a new tactic of the evil one. In Genesis 2, 17, we read that this is the temptation that Satan would give to Adam and Eve, saying that you will be God. And they fall into this because they don't want limitation. And and what's so interesting to me is that we need to understand as human beings that we have limits, There are so many things that are out of our hands or out of what we can control. I'll say like 95%. I'm just throwing that number out there. But a lot of the things that exist in our life are out of our hands, right? I mean, think about this. You didn't choose what generation you were born into. Some of you are like, why did I have to be around when COVID-19 was here? What did I do to deserve this? But you didn't choose to be born in this generation. You didn't choose what family you were born into. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose the color of your skin. You didn't choose the environment that you were born into. I mean, so much of who we are, you you didn't choose how tall you were going to be. I could keep going for a while here, right? I mean, there's so many things that are out of our control, amen? And what that means is that we are dependent creatures. 
And see, what I've come to learn is that we are certainly a product of our genetics, we are a product of our environment, and we are also a product of personal choice. But two of the three of those things are out of our control. So we have to understand the complexity of who we are, especially when we talk about wanting power. Now, remember, Jesus here says that he's like a king who brings power into this world, and power isn't always a bad thing. I mean, Jesus came with power to bring in a new kingdom into this world. But if you want a litmus to know when maybe your heart is leaning more into power than into Jesus' kingdom, I want to just call this thing out. Because I would argue that if you want a, a characteristic to see that something that, that it's controlling your life where you think that power is more of what you need, I would say the thing that needs to be called out is when we live our life in fear. When our life is just driven by fear and panic, we are in a place of where we want power and control when we can't always have those very things. I mean, maybe to drive it home a little bit, when your candidate doesn't win the office, does it drive you into panic? I mean, you could be upset. Maybe you voted differently. But does it just say there's no more hope? When you don't get the job, things don't work how you anticipated them to. You just freak out. There's nothing more to live for. Or when you experience hardship and you go through pain, do you just say, that's it? I'm done? There's no more hope? I want you to see that this is what Jesus is getting at here with his disciples. And and honestly, this might be really hard to hear, and the reason I'm saying this is because I need to hear it. But I think inside of our world right now, we need to start asking some questions of do we feel more at home with people who share our politics and not our faith? Do we feel more at home with people who share our faith but not our politics? This is such a big question that we need to wrestle with as the kingdom of God. Because here's the reality about who our God is. He is a God who brings a kingdom that's going to be different and bigger than any other kingdom that's ever existed. And all the man-made divisions and all the simple solutions that the world just loves to put against one another becomes something that causes division. And so... So Jesus says instead that I'm bringing a new kingdom into this world. One that's going to be bigger than Rome. Bigger than the one that is persecuting you. And, and maybe when you hear this today, I think maybe a common response, maybe two responses would be this. When we're confronted with the fact of that we don't have the power that we think we have and we're limited in our control. We, we take one of two responses. The first one is this, is we just deny it. Say, this is where you're wrong, pastor. I do have power and control over everything in my life. We just deny it. 
Or the second option that we take is that we cling even tighter to the little control that we have. But Jesus offers something different. Jesus brings something different into this problem. And when his disciples weren't getting what it meant to be a part of the kingdom of God, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus has this incredible moment. In fact, scholars will tell us that this is the pinnacle moment of Mark's gospel, what he wants us to get. You need to hear these words. They're so beautiful. In Mark chapter 10, verses 43 through 45, he says this, but it shall not be among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that I'm the one who has all of the power, but you know how I act in this world? So I come to serve. Not to deny power, not to cling to the little power that I have, but I use the power that I have to serve others. This is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And I know this to be true because this is who our God is. This is what we celebrate. This is what we celebrated last weekend, and I loved, as Christian said, we celebrate every day after the resurrection, is that our God is the one who rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, we see that in light of when the world wants to have control and have this sense of no limitation, Jesus' kingdom serves. This is the response. This is a new kingdom that isn't held to one political party, that isn't held to the dynamics or one country. It's one that is better than any other kingdom and better than any other king that has ever existed. This is who our God is. I love one, one pastor said it this way. I'm not smart enough to come up with this quote. He said, the way up is to go down and the way down is to go up. This is who our God is. He lives this example for us. By admitting our sin, by our need and powerlessness, by casting ourselves on his mercy, we will finally become secure in his love, empowered in a way that does not lead us to oppress others, but instead love and serve. And that when we understand this kind of kingdom, all of a sudden we start to cut at this idolatry of power that exists in our lives. Because Jesus' kingdom shows us a different way. So when I think of Michael Bay, <laughs> and lots of explosions in his films. I certainly think of this guy, Mark, who, who gives us this beautiful witness of a God who worked in action, but did so out of service, even as he faced suffering and struggle. But, but there is something that is kind of interesting that the way that Mark finishes here, because, um, because it's just so beautiful, and I just want to point this out. Like, at the very end of, of Mark's gospel, 
in, in Mark chapter 15, uh, verse 39, uh, there is all this confusion. Jesus uh, is being crucified. It's this horrific moment. And as we were reading, the disciples, they just weren't getting their minds around this, that, that God would have to suffer. But there was somebody who did understand it. it. This is so important. In Mark 15, 39, we read that as Jesus is hanging from the cross, there's a Roman centurion. There is the guy who is working for the king that Jesus is ultimately saying, I'm a greater king than Nero. He's wearing the uniform, and he, this Roman soldier, as he looks to the cross and sees what God has done, he says, truly, this is the Son of God. What he sees is that, that, that he sees a God who serves. A God who puts his life on the ransom for you and me. So back to Mark 1, 15. He writes these words because the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. A kingdom that is better than any other king or any other kingdom that will come because those kingdoms will fall and they will have their time and they will be done. And so what Mark says is this, repent, turn around, Come back and believe in our God. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a God who, who serves, gives his life as a ransom for us. And so, Lord, I know that in our world, that we struggle to desire and want control and to be you. Lord, we have much to repent of. And so, Lord, um, I pray today that, that as we investigate and look deeply at your word, may we never forget that you are a God who doesn't tell us to get on your level because we can't. But instead, you're a God who comes down to our level. Lord, may that be our motivation. May that be our drive. May that be the, the way that we look at our world. And may we see the beauty of a new kingdom that you are bringing here in this place. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.